Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 6, Save the World, Lose You. This week we're discussing season 1, episode 5 of Doctor Who, World War 3, and season 1, episode 5 of Buffy, Never Kill a Boy on the First Date. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. So, we're starting out with Doctor Who this week, which means I get to go first. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess, so we gave a little bit of a short shrift on the aliens last time. So let's let's start there, because I think we do, and, and I think it was okay, because we really didn't get a lot about them. I mean, we kind of, we're left hanging. We, we see this powerful electric device or whatever that they're using to try to kill everyone. And and then the doctor steps in, but um, we really just, we get a lot more information about them this time. So um, I guess, I guess one of the things that, uh, well, a few things. So first of all, obviously we get kind of their motive and, and we get it about halfway through the episode that, one, we know that the Slovene are not um, a race of aliens. They're a name. Right. <laughs> they're, it's their surname. They're, right. they're a, uh, a, a private conglomerate of relatives, and they have this, some kind of business. And we find out what the business is. It's, Family business. Yeah, they're, they're going to sell off radioactive chunks to uh, <laughs> budget cargo ships and cut price Starliners. Right, uh, right. They're like uh, intergalactic scrappers and... Yeah, well, it, or like, you know, the the cheapo gas station mm-hmm. where, you know, it's a few cents cheaper because, you know, you don't want to know why. Where they got doing it. to yeah. your car. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so, you know, I mean, it's, you know, again, the aliens here, they're kind of not my favorite. Their, their motives, it's, it's sort of that whole one dimensional classic, yeah. uh, you know, oh, the 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 pseudo capitalist, uh, you know, bad guys who are just coming in to destroy everything and and make a profit off the weaklings and that kind of thing. Yeah. So you know, it is yeah. what it is. Whatever their motives, they're there. They're doing it. Yeah. Let's not not the it. most nuanced. Uh, um. Certainly, no. of what we've seen so far, and I think I think even in the the seven seasons of New Who, probably one of the weakest. Um, yeah. monsters and certainly the monster invasion episode uh, element of this episode is the least interesting part of it and yeah. and one of the least interesting sort of villains overall well and and it begs the question too of of why do they need to come down to earth and have us use our own weapons to create this radioactive slag that they need to use like why not just us from space (laughs) (laughs) you know like like really what's what's the point like it it seems overly for for a company that's so uh concerned about profit and whatever you'd think they'd just do it in the most efficient manner sure available sure and and this certainly you know infiltrating all the various levels of government and getting the un codes (laughs) you know to 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 light each other up like just it seems very not intelligent alien species like and and i think the reason they do it is not a good logical story reason i think the reason is to highlight all of these parallels with sort of modern warfare and terrorism 
you know, like there's a lot in here, like the spaceship crashing into Big Ben is sort of reminiscent of, you know, September 11th. Um, the whole idea of uh, terrorist cells sort of hiding incognito, you know, amongst people and amongst the government. Um, that's very sort of that yeah. kind of modern paranoia. Um, at one point they talk about uh, the alien, the, the fictional non-existent alien ship that's supposedly threatening the earth having right. massive weapons of destruction. Right, and I'm right. sure we're meant to hear weapons Clearly. of mass destruction in that sentence. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and parallel paralleling the fact that there really wasn't very They're much fictional. evidence it's, for it's all, any. Right. Right. They yeah. say, uh, they said, uh, the doctor says it's it's not they don't they don't have anything they're just making it up so the idea of these corrupt cells within the government uh scaring us and using the fear to create a situation where they can gain whatever it is they want to gain for their own personal purposes mm -hmm. so um yeah i think it's i think it's all I think, like, convoluted as it is, I'm sure the reason for all this sort of plot maneuvering to get them hiding in the government and doing all these things is to parallel all those sorts of modern, you know. And yeah. the fact that they, the whole double episode is spent, you know, they watch it on TV, um, and then we keep cutting back to the newscasters sort of reminding us of what's going on. I mean, that's so how we get our news today it's so 21st yeah. century i mean that's been true ever since there's been tv but in particular i think in the sort right. of post 9-11 era you know whenever there's sort of an international disaster we all just camp in front of the tv and let the media tell us what's going on and you know so yeah i think that's kind of thematically i think that's probably what they're getting at but um it doesn't really make this levine look particularly uh, competent, <laughs> adept or intelligent, yeah. you know, yeah. in the meantime. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and yeah, no, that, those are great points. And, and I did have some notes down here about the military and government because these are some of the most incompetent military personnel ever as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, yeah. you, you, you know, they're, they're, how many of them are in that room when the doctor comes in and, and accuses the prime minister of being an Not alien? Not one of them can stop him. <laughs> and they're yeah. like, and he turns to the guy and he's like, well, that's never going to work, is it? And he <laughs> no. just kind of like, no. And then runs out the room. It's like, you all have these automatic, automatic you know, machine weapons. guns yep. and, and, and whatever. And he's running down the hallway. Like, you're not even going to like fire at him at all. Well, and then and they just, have him. And, and that kind of the blind following that yes. when the doctor says, aliens in Downing Street, Let's go. And they all just up and run after him. But then right. when the government says, oh, it's him, go get him. They up and run after him. Like, they're right. completely not, uh, yeah, they're not thinking. They're not making, following any sort of military protocol. They're just doing whatever anyone, it's, it's like if you say anything to them with confidence, they'll believe you and follow yeah. you. And, well, when, and when they're told not to ask questions, they don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said the word protocol, the emergency protocol. Yeah. Nobody has read like the sergeant or whatever, who's supposed to be, you know, yeah. who's in charge of security at yeah. Downing Street. Like they're, they Nobody don't know what the protocols what are. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, it's kind of this empty ritual, which goes back to 
you know, way back to the first episode that we were talking about and, and that we've seen in a couple of other places, this whole idea of protocol and of the doctor being sort of a diplomat and having to, uh, or having some diplomatic functions or at least aware of diplomacy between races yeah. of aliens and stuff. Um, like with the Nestine consciousness, the first thing he steps in and walks in is very, you know, protocol ish, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's requesting audience and that sort of thing. Whereas here, the humans are not like they have protocols, but they don't follow them. Nobody knows really, what they are. Yeah, they yeah. don't know what they are. They don't seem to whatever, except for with alcohol. When the doctor you know says, "Here, have a drink," and Harriet says, "No, no, you pass it to the left first. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. like she the, understands, and and I guess she is sort of what we're meant to understand is good, a good government leader, someone sure. who and, understands protocol, who can uh, make executive decisions under pressure and who can be both um patriotic and also compassionate towards the alien or the other like she's sort of comfortable working with the doctor even once she knows he's an alien even though they're being invaded by aliens you yeah know? oh yeah and she yeah she's discerning between yeah. between actual threat and perceived threat of, yeah, yeah. of an alien right whatever and right. And no, you're right. I think that's totally what we're supposed to take away from Harriet's character is is that she does have an idea. Not just she is patriotic, but she's also pragmatic. Mm -hmm. And and it's not just um, you know, oh, whatever for our country, just so we can, you know, I don't know, whatever. Like, but it's it's very much, um, uh, uh, yeah. Again, discerning. She's pragmatic, also being patriotic, and 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 all of that's sort of in there. Um, the, the, the secret password that gets you into every government website and database and, and radar system for all the nuclear weapons. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. Buffalo. I mean, Buffalo. why not? Yeah. Two I, F's and I, an L. And so I was, I mean, you know, part of me was like, is that just like somehow the doctor manipulating that? But, but it can't be, it's not like he's not like using his sonic screwdriver to get into these right. systems. That's legitimately, legitimately the password right. that somehow he's found out. I, you know, who knows how he knows that, but like, that's the password. Apparently anyone could use this password to get right. into all these secret government well, websites and databases um, and stuff. And I think we, we can, if you know a little bit about the classic series, you can infer how he knows this because okay. the website that Mickey hacks into is uh, called UNIT, so it's an acronym. Um, and in the classic series, that stood for the United Nations Intelligence Task Force. And it okay. was the, the UN's sort of secret task force, basically. Um, so that's, I guess, what it is that Mickey is hacking into specifically. And the doctor worked for them for a while. That when he was, during the period where I think the production ran out of budget and he was exiled to Earth for a couple seasons <laughs> uh, and couldn't do any intergalactic traveling, what, he, what he did was work for UNIT. He moonlighted, yes. He, mo he worked for UNIT and would deal with, uh, with alien invasions of Earth specifically. So sure. I guess we're meant to understand that he still knows either... I don't know whether he they realize that he knows this, but but he does know some some information about unit, and I guess 
has hung on to some of their information so that he can get uh, intelligence from them uh, and, and hack into their websites. And, and presumably they haven't changed their password in 50 years. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, that's interesting because I, so I do want to talk a lot about the doctor too. I guess, yeah. I guess, um, I mean, really just kind of, well, I mean, the military government stuff, I think that's, I think you're right. We, we kind of are meant to, to see all of that and, and get that out of it. I guess one of the things though, and, and just going kind of broader, you know, we have these themes, um, or, or at least points being made about just humanity in general. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and he does point that out very much like you're saying with, with the wartime stuff, um, where he says they want you the whole world panicking. Um, what does he say? He says, cause you lot, you get scared, you lash out. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's exactly it. Right. It's, it's the alien. It's, it's the thing that Harriet doesn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, that is typical of the human race though. Um, and, and you say typical, it's stereotypical. It's, sure. it's, or, I mean, I say typical, not you, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's stereotypical, but, but it is true. I mean, so many, of... Right, true, true of humanity as sort of a pack animal rather than individual humans necessarily, but right. certainly as when the mob mentality and paranoia take over, that is the the gut reaction. And uh, it's is to preemptively it... strike and to not discriminate and to just defend ourselves without necessarily thinking about why or how or yeah. Well, and the title World War Three is is perfect to denote that because you know the other wars were about you know world war one and two were about patriotism and and aggression in the face of others Mm -hmm. in this case the aliens being you know people from other countries not from other worlds you know and and an invasion of of those um you know of other countries and that sort of thing so it's I mean, clearly there's, there's all of that parallel there. And, and, and I think it's great because I think we get that, um, we get that insight to the fact that, you know, there still can be, um, something to stand up against that, you know, in, in people like Harriet. And, Mm -hmm. and of course we get the sort of the doctor's explanation afterwards, like, oh yeah, I remember who she is now. She's going to be prime minister in a few years. Like, and 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 of course her speech at the end, which is repeated when Rose is watching it on TV, mm-hmm. is that mankind stands proud, tall, and undefeated, and and God mm-hmm. bless the human race. You yeah, know. Uh, you know the the very patriotic sort of language there, but but backed who's, up who's, with real character too, like. Well, know? it is, and that's what I was about to say was you know who's the one standing proud, tall, and undefeated? It's actually her. Sure. You know, and and. Yeah, none and of the, her colleagues, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, most of them are dead. So, I mean, you can't blame them, per, you know, a lot of them per se, right, right. because they were killed. But certainly they, I mean, the fact that they're dead means they're not standing proud, tall, or undefeated. Yeah. And so, you, you know, it is her ability in the face of the danger and the invasion. And 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 not just her ability, but her her sense of what humanity is and that humanity doesn't necessarily mean what you look like or even what planet you come from because she accepts the doctor as something Mm -hmm. human yeah even though he's even though she's told explicitly that he's not that he's an alien right right humanity meaning something more than your biological makeup right yes 
and and well and she uses the word mankind but we're uh-huh. meant there to think humanity i'm sure mm-hmm. um and and it's interesting too so that's that's of course in stark contrast to the way that the slovene uh look at humans in this episode um we get the scene where uh the slovene are looking for rose and harriet and they're kind of hiding you know one's behind like a silk screen thing and and then uh, rose is is behind the couch and like kind of jumps over to the curtain and whatever but um you know they come in and they call them human children you know mm-hmm. they're they're saying where are you you know human children it's it's very um demeaning yeah. <laughs> or 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 you know i mean clearly looking down on them and thinking you know these these people are not you know they're not real people. They're just little people. They're not, right, you know, they right. don't know the ways of the universe kind of thing. Yeah. Um, flies, which is annoying flies to be swatted so that we can get down to the real business of making our profit. Selling, and, yeah, yeah. Of selling radioactive sludge to, you know, yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> but it's in, it's, it's a repetition though, of what the doctor himself said last episode. Sure. That, that this is the chance for the human race to grow up. So it's it's interesting to me that he also has that sort of view, although clearly it's a different it has a different quality to it. Yeah, he does have that same kind of view of of humans as something not fully grown of of of, uh, you know, yeah, needing to needing to go through these experiences that young people go through to become adults. And yeah. Yeah. and and so I, I, I thought that was interesting because it's not. Like while the Slovene are clearly predatory and and you know all of that, like the Doctor also kind of holds that view too. So like, yeah, you know, no, he has we... a similar a similarly alien outsider's view, mm. and not always uh, the most flattering view. But I right. guess what he also has is his humanity. I guess as Harriet Jones would put it, is what what he has is compassion. For other people and you know I think he sometimes struggles to not look down on other people because he's clearly more advanced um in terms right. of his intelligence and his you know the whole you don't know what you're talking about yeah. just listen to me and yeah I mean he that. can be he can be arrogant um but he also is this great defender of life and of people um so you know, so he, so it's sort of these two things which are intention, um, mm-hmm. and what he has to balance out the sort of, you know, arrogance is, uh, you know, his. I mean, I'll just say what I think is like a love for humanity that, for mm-hmm. whatever reason, he keeps coming back here, yeah. and he keeps yeah. picking up companions from here, and he keeps defending this place. So there's something yeah. about it that he also. Um, has affection for and respects, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and there's that that scene um, too, where he's talking to Mickey on the phone, and he uses Mickey's name <laughs> right in the right way for the first time in this. Yeah. I, I think in this whole two part episode, you know, he says, "Mickey, you were born in the dark." But I, I mean, it seems to me to be pretty clear that he's not. He's talking about Mickey, of course, but he's talking about Mickey and all of the rest of humanity. Like, yeah. you know, he's using Mickey as sort of a 
every man yeah. sort of character, every person sort of character. Well, right. There. I mean, it's like when he, when he, even when he calls him Mickey the idiot and everything, it's like <laughs> he's not. It's. I don't think he, you know this, and this is the arrogance coming through. Is Mickey is more of the everyman than Rose is. Rose, as the companion, is more the exception to the rule. That this is someone who can mm. keep up and who can, you know. So she's special by being selected to travel with him. Um, or we find out by the end of the episode for being brave enough to travel with him because Mickey right. has the opportunity too. But, yeah. you know, but Mickey as sort of the one who's sort of bumbling and not understanding and a little bit um, slow and, you know, that's more humanity in general, maybe, well, is how the doctor, you know, and, views And us. so let's let's talk a little more about Mickey because... I will admit, I'd have you know, I've been clear about it. I don't really like Mickey, but <laughs> but I will admit that in this episode, we we do see a little bit better side of Mickey. Yeah. I'm still not convinced that I should like him yet. Sure, but I mean, you know, for one thing, he He's stops not to as take completely useless as he was no. in the first yeah. episode. What? Yeah, you're not all idiots, is what the doctor says. <laughs> even though yeah. he calls Mickey explicitly calls him an idiot twice. Yeah. Um, and he does stop to take a picture of the Sladine while, you know, it's on in its electric uh, uh-huh. form there. It's like, dude, just run away. <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> um, it's like he and he kind of looks at the screen like, wow, that's cool. Oh, I'm supposed yeah, to be running. Yeah. Is it framed right? Yeah. Did I get that? Yeah. No. Um, but no, like it's, we do get some growth here. Um, you know, at the beginning of this episode and, and even, you know, it's the two part. I mean, obviously he's not very happy with the doctor and, and both him and Jackie, um, blame the doctor for their own problems. You know, he, he is Mickey specifically assumes that the doctor is, is the cause of all his problems. And, and, you know, he does have a bit of a legitimate complaint there as far as, you know, (laughs) the doctor is the one who took Rose away and whatever, but, Mm -hmm. I mean, the same way, you know, that Jackie says, you know, um, uh, oh, uh, where I forget the exact quote, but she says something similar, basically that she's she's blaming the doctor for for all of her own issues. And it's it's just a very different sort of tack from from what Rose is taking. Clearly, it's it's no, the doctor's here to help. Yeah. The doctor's here because problems are here. This is why. You know, this is this is what's going on. It's not the doctor's fault that this stuff is happening. In yeah. fact, much worse would be happening if, if the he doctor wasn't, wasn't here. here. Yeah, and it's and it's that whole um, inability to discern cause from effect, and to and to um, the self centeredness of the doctor causes problems in my life, not realizing right. that. Well, that's only an indirect consequence to the fact of him working for a higher, a greater cause, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, he causes a little bit of mayhem, but aren't you glad he's here? Maybe we can not just think about the inconvenience it causes for me and mm-hmm. think about, you know, the greater good that he's working towards. Right. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, well, so I get, so we go from that though to the idea that he is 
like you said, at least somewhat useful. <laughs> we get yeah. Jackie. We we get Jackie who says, "You saved my life." God, that's embarrassing. <laughs> you know, and 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 of course, yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah. Um, but then also the doctor who says, "Mickey, the idiot." <laughs> I just might choke. Yeah. Uh, before I finish the sentence, but I need you, yeah. and and I just I got and a kick. The world out of, is in your hands. I got a kick out of Rose's huge grin when when yeah. he said that, and yeah. I I'm still struggling to find what Rose sees in this kid. But all right, you know whatever. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's only been a few days, and I I you know I don't, we don't yeah. really know how long they've been dating or whatever. But um, right, for her, right. it's only been a few days at least. Yeah, uh, although significantly longer for Mickey. Yeah. Um. I kind of liked um, something I just noticed the first time, and then they pointed this out on the commentary when I watched it, um, was uh, in his apartment, all of the research that he's been doing in the meantime. So you see on the corkboard in his room, mm. picture like the missing posters of Rose. You see a hand-drawn picture of the TARDIS. You get all these different articles and and things pinned up, and he's got uh, binders on his shelves that say things like UFOs, and he talks about all the research that he's been doing, so it's kind of interesting that the very fact that he's so angry at the doctor and thinks he's an interruption has led him to become this sort of doctor-obsessed, you know, researcher. Um, He's the new Clive. and, And that's what they said in the commentary, was that Russell Davies wanted Mickey's apartment to be reminiscent of Clive's basement that yeah. he's become sort of you know the the stand-in for that type of character who's done all of the internet research and sort of you know a little bit of the conspiracy theorist and you know so even but but he doesn't do that because he you know is uh romanticizing the doctor he does that because he's angry and is trying right. to find them and right you know um so so, indirectly, the doctor does sort of contribute to him becoming a little bit more useful and a little bit more yeah. with it, uh, even if he didn't do that intentionally. Yeah, even and the knowledge that he has is certainly incomplete, and yeah. and he misinterprets it. Yeah, definitely. Clearly, but he, but not not quite all the way wrongly though either. Like he he. He doesn't like he thinks the doctor may be one of the Sleuthine or whatever as well. Yeah. Or or at least thinks it's possible that he is, but he does have that moment where he says to Jackie, you know, regardless, he's the only one who can stop them. Yeah. So there's something in him that does respect at, at least underneath yeah. the surface, respect and understand that the doctor isn't completely there that they he, I guess I would say he's a little more it, using the terminology of children versus adults. <laughs> Again, you know, he's like slightly more grown up than Jackie yeah. is at that yeah. point, you know, and, and, and certainly Rose has, has gone a long way beyond either of them. Um, yeah. No, Jackie is even more than Mickey, I think still stuck in her own life and what's important to yeah. me and what's, you know, and even, I mean, I love the way, you know, mom's like that. You know, she just seems like such a real mom to me. And the way she dresses and the fact, like, she looks like a 45-year-old teenager. Um, yeah. You know, that she's a little bit regressed. Um, and so I kind of like the way that they sort of style that character. Um, that feels very real to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, th- I think that's right. And, 
and so and you even get um you even get the point where he does kind of step up i mean clearly he does uh he does the computer hacking stuff, and 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 I say hacking with scare quotes because yeah. all he like, does is put in I mean, the password that the yeah. doctor tells him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, he's he's not you know we're not talking about some computer genius here. Yeah, but he um, he at least does that. Yeah, and you get that great moment between him and Jackie where Jackie says, "I could stop you." Yeah, and he says, "Then then do it." Yeah, like like. I'm at least doing something. Think about more than yourself for a second. Yeah, I'm at least doing something. I may not know what I'm doing, or and I couldn't do this on my own. Clearly, yeah. But at least I'm doing something. Yeah. And 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 even um, you know, the moment where this Levine comes to the door and and Jackie runs away and he comes out with his with his Louisville Slugger baseball bat that kind of threw me <laughs> off like like I would expect like a cricket bat or something. Yeah, seriously. But, you know, like that just okay. That's fine. Cool. Hey, you're in England. You More like power baseball. To him, yeah. I'm I'm all right with that. But um, that that I, for some reason, like I noticed that more than yeah. I should have probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, like even there, like he's versus the running away that they did the first time. The Celine, they at least go out to meet him, and of yeah. course, then they run into the kitchen and you know try to find things with vinegar in them. Um, I love the. Do you have any vinegar? How should I know? It's your kitchen. <laughs> like, yeah, like he like, has no idea what's in his yeah. kitchen. Well, and then of course Rose is like, oh yeah, it's in whatever shelf. Yeah, or whatever. yeah. Um, <laughs> and the and they're pulling out all the different stuff and and calling out, oh, you know, pickled eggs and you know this and that and the other. Yeah. And the doctor's like, you date this guy? <laughs> like, like all that that he's gotten in his cupboards. Like, yeah. Does he eat this and yeah. you kiss him? Yeah. Like, <laughs> um. Anyway, that was that was pretty funny. Um, but then, so he does, he does help, but then we get kind of to one of the other big themes of, of the show of this episode Mm -hmm. to where the point where he needs to make a decision about whether or not to go, you know, all said and done, is he coming with him? And he gets invited by both the doctor and Rose. And I can understand him refusing the doctor because, you know, he doesn't like the doctor and he sees him as a rival and as someone who's taking Rose away. Yeah. But, but Rose says that she wants him to go too. Yeah. And, and that doesn't prompt him. No, (sighs) no, but, but even after Jackie's walked away and given up, He's still there, sitting there waiting. So yeah. he's he does not know what he wants. No. And, yeah. Well. He's very confused, I think. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting. So, so and, and we get this idea of decisions uh-huh. being, you know, being a big part of it. And, and, and the doctor says that specifically, that he, um. Oh, you know, where is it? You know that he says that he's the only one who will make a decision. That's that's why he he's there. It's, uh, this is my life. It's not fun. It's not smart. It's just standing up and making a decision because nobody else will. Yeah. But I think, like that. So that's what he says. Yeah. And I, and I'm certainly, I'm sure he believes that. But I think part of what we're supposed to get out of all of this is that you're always making a decision. Sure. And, no, by and, that he means I will stand up and make the tough choice, make the right decision. But right. plenty of people are 
making decisions all the time, you know, whether or not they are the selfless or the right decision the is a completely different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, choosing to be a coward is still choosing, right? Yeah. Well, and, and, or even when you're attempting to not make a choice, that's a choice. you have to make a choice. Yeah. yeah the, the, the choice to not choose is a choice yeah. and, and it's, it's a passive choice, but yeah. it's still a choice. Yeah. And, and so that's, yeah. And that, and I think you're right that he, what he means there is that he's actively making the choice to do the right thing with, you know, capital R, capital T. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, Harriet steps up mm-hmm. and says, no, actually it's my decision. This is my world. This is my country. This is right. my office. You don't get to make decisions on behalf yeah. of humanity. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and the doctor smiles at that. Yeah. Like he, you know, gets his big goofy grin. Yeah. Where he's, it's, <laughs> and, and it's, and I think that goes back to the whole concept of, uh, humanity being childish or or needing to grow up it's Mm -hmm. like in that moment he he's wanted to witness humanity growing up and in that moment i think he does finally somebody else who's gonna take the decision out of my hands and make it for themselves yeah and again we get the explication that he gives that she's the one who ushers in the golden age sure you know yeah um which is kind of funny because you sort of think about like british imperialism and you know the sun never setting on the british empire kind of like I mean, now imperialism isn't such a great idea. Right, we you think know, of, just well, and like we that, kind of think of Britain's golden age as being sort of in the past a little bit. Like, right. if we look at it as that age of imperialism and um, and the whole British Empire, you know, that's sort of a thing past. Right. Um, but right. we're being maybe prompted to think that it could still be in the future, maybe. Yeah, that given maybe a little bit of and change. hopefully a, a more mature version of the golden right. age <laughs> a, a change in attitude a, yeah. a tweak in how we approach things maybe yeah. maybe things could be better and and i mean it is defined as a sort of british golden age but i think the idea is that it helps everybody yeah. you know it's it's across the board it's not just in england but or in britain or in you know whatever like even just europe it's like it i think the implication there is that it it brings about a much wider effect because of that because of that willingness to stand up and 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 make a decision yeah um and so i think that's that's still where mickey fails to go back to his thing i mean that's his decision is to not go i mean that's clearly his decision well in his decision it is that lack of choice because his decision is neither to go with or to walk away. Right. But to just sit there and right. wait, you know. Yeah. And it's so it's that passivity is e- even after the 10 seconds the that ten, ten, Rose promises. Yeah, are Jackie right. gives it, which was such a I can't decide if Rose is just being given what she's seen of the the Tardis's inaccuracy and the fact that this time they were supposed to be there after 12 hours and it turned out to be 12 months. I can't yeah. decide whether Rose promising that they'll be back in 10 seconds is her being naive or mm. her being a little disingenuous there. Um, and or, or flat out lying. Or flat out <laughs> like lying. Like not, 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 not even just a little disingenuous. Well, like, I, I, I hope that she wouldn't openly lie to her mother's face yeah. and, and, I, and, and intentionally hurt her like that. Yeah. I think she believes we'll be back, but whether she's deceiving herself or whether she's just completely oblivious to the fact that 
that's a promise you can't make. Yeah. You know? No, I, and I agree. Like, I, I would like to think that that's not Rose's character either, but we also, the, the doctor blatantly lies. And well, and I, the doctor is a different story. <laughs> well, but, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think in this episode, we are getting more of a glimpse of the Rose becoming doctor like. Sure. Because, because, and, and I, I know we, we have like 10 minutes left that yeah. we wanted to talk here. We need to talk about like both the doctor and yeah. Rose. And I don't know if we can do that, but we can try. We get, we get the horrible callous joke yeah. of her, yeah. you know, using this horrible situation about yeah. being able to shrink down so she can fit into a smaller size yeah. of clothing. You know, this is, this is a Cordelia statement to, uh-huh. you know, pre- premonition, our Buffy conversation. This yeah. is totally, you know, using the plight of others who, you know, others who have died because yeah. the fact that these aliens are wearing their their suits, their, you know, the whole, <laughs> that whole thing reminded me of like the, the original, um, uh, uh, men in black movie, the, the Edgar suit, you know, uh-huh. of, of yeah. wearing someone else's skin. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but, of, and here I am making jokes about, they don't dead drink people. sugar and, water and, then. Yeah, no, <laughs> I don't think so. They just fart a lot. Um, it smells <laughs> like right. bad breath. But right. She's, yeah, bad breath. Um, but she's becoming a little desensitized too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She's, and, but then, you know, the interesting thing is, of course, just like her mother, she uh-huh. blames it on the doctor. Right. She right. says, you oh, get, it's you, your friends when you're friends with him. Yeah. You get used to this stuff when you're friends with him. Yeah. With and, and, and again, Harriet calls it, her on it. Very perceptive. Yeah, yeah. Calls her out. Says, well, that's a strange, a strange friendship you've got there. Right. Uh, right. Which, you know, goes right back to those other implications that this is not a healthy or normal relationship from, from an external view. I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying whether objectively we're supposed to think that, but, but well, I from, think it's complicated. Yeah. Like it, it, you, you know, she's gaining as much, she's losing as much as she's gaining, you know, mm-hmm. and it, there's a give and take and it's like, and not entirely, you know, in some ways it's, uh, you know, to travel with the doctors, a wonderful and, and fulfilling and exciting experience. And in other ways, it's a little problematic. Yeah. And, and I, you know, again, going with some of these themes of the episode that, or, or this two-parter episode of humanity growing up, I think this is in a way Rose's growing pains, if, if you will, like if, if we can extend that metaphor, it's, it's, it's her attempts to, you know, she's, she's got, you know, you, we've, everybody's done, gone through that phase where you get a little more knowledge than the people who are slightly younger than you uh-huh. and you kind of have to show it off Yeah. or yeah. you kind of have to act a little bit better than a little superior. Else. Yeah. And you get that comment. Well, everybody's from the North or, yeah. or every, uh, every planet has, the North. Yeah. not everybody's from the North. every planet like, has a North. Oh, like, you don't understand yeah, these things. Yeah. Like, like that like, wasn't heard two days you, ago. You literally learned that. Yeah. A couple yeah. days ago. Like yeah. it's, Right, right. This is old hat to her now. Yeah. um, And so so you get these sort of things from Rose that that I think are meant to imply that that she is. When I say becoming more doctor like and I'm referring, I guess, to to more of like what we were talking about last time where her knowledge is expanding. She's um, it's not that she's becoming alien. It's that her view is such a much bigger one than right. she had but right. she doesn't quite know how to process it yet i don't right. think right. like she she's still trying to figure all of that out and and 
And so it's hard to blame Jackie and Mickey and uh-huh. not still blame her a little bit too for yeah, kind sure. of the views that she holds. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I I guess I guess I would say that you know that that would seem to me like where we're like like the gro- like we can blame Mickey for his lack of growth but but Rose's growth isn't isn't always a shining moment for her either I no. guess is kind of where I'm going with that. But, yeah, yeah. No, she um, definitely needs to watch her attitude a little bit, I guess. Um yeah. that when she comes back home to see how is you know what she's going through affecting and potentially hurting the people around her and how is she now viewing you know what used to just be everyday life um Mm -hmm. and being careful not to look down on that right um or become callous to it sure yeah yeah we should probably uh talk about the doctor a little bit here before yeah i know i know it's like well and so to talk about humanity and aliens and all of that we get that immediate um you know the, the the right from the start right it picks up exactly where it left off. The fact that, yeah, he's not an alien or I mean, he's not human. He is an alien because he just takes this electric, whatever it is, power that's going out. Like, and he just throws it right back at the Slovene. He's like, yeah, we get, we get in this episode, maybe more than we've done so far, more of a sense of his, um, superiority, not moral superiority, but, biological and intellectual so you get the fact that he can survive that electric current thing when everyone else dies um Mm -hmm. so he's at least harder to kill you know you know not not impossible to kill but more difficult that he can survive certain things that humans can't um and then the the intellectual superiority in terms of narrows it down narrows it down keep throwing out facts and i'm just going to filter through the 500 planets within flight distance and right and the more we know about it the more i can figure out where they're from so he has this all-encompassing knowledge of you know the universe of you know all these planets and their cultures and you know what they're made up of and you know all the different particulars of who they are yeah no that's great i think the um yeah because that's the sort of thing that you would almost expect like he would have to go back to the tardis to check his database kind of thing for you know but but no and and that's totally the kind of thing that you would normally get in in uh science fiction is oh let's let's ask the computer what you know if we put in these parameters will we get you know spit out the answer for us but no that's it's him it's using his own knowledge and experience and yeah and but he's not a walking computer either i mean he has to think about it and he needs them to prompt him like okay we're stressed out so you just start throwing out facts and I'll sort right. of filter through the knowledge that I have. Right, right. Um, yeah, so I, I think you're right. That's that's a big part of his non-humanness. <laughs> um, and yeah, and you have to wonder, like, how much does he know? Like, I mean, again, and, and going back, he said he's 900 years old. May have just been a number he threw out. Who knows how old he is really is. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, who can say for sure? Um, I think the other thing that, that we get across here is, so there, there's the big, 
right from episode one, we we talked about his his sort of running around and, and callousness, and I think we've 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 come to see that he's not as callous as maybe I thought he was at first, or maybe that we're led to believe he is. Yeah. Um. And and we get that. And and sort- it, we we see how quickly that could potentially happen with Rose. So right. when he's been doing this for nine hundred years, it's kind of like who can blame him. You know, mm-hmm. look how quickly Rose can become callous towards these things. So right. you get a little right. bit of a sense of he's actually not that bad, considering <laughs> the way he could be. Um, uh, I mean, now we get I mean, we get him wanting to know the secretary's name. Yes. Um, and, and apologizing. And apologizing, you know. Yes. That he's sorry and, that this happened. And that's what that's what kind of hit me was that that sorry that just real brief the real you know whatever and i mean he does ask harriet's name but he does it you know as they're running away and who the hell are you (laughs) you know like (laughs) and the running joke of her having to keep reintroducing herself yes yes and and she seems always willing to pull out her mp card yeah yeah. (laughs) literally yeah pulling pulling out the mp yeah um so yeah we get we get some of that in there and I, and I think that's good. And I think, and it's funny because even though there's also the running joke of him calling Mickey Ricky, Uh we do see in the end that one, he had, I mean, he has to remember Mickey's name to get it wrong every time. You know what I mean? Like he has to know what his name is. No, it's intentional. In order to intentionally get it wrong each time. So, and, and of course, he clearly does know Mickey's name because when he needs something from him, he calls yeah. him Mickey, even yeah. though he adds the idiot to it. Yeah. Um, but then at the end, it, it just becomes Mickey. And, yeah. and so, and not just Mickey, but Mickey, would you like to join us? Yeah. Because I, I see how much you care for Rose. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, I think it might be good for you yes. <laughs> to join us. Yeah. Um, so there, so it's, and so it's, it's him caring about well, and then there's him caring about Rose, but 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 in relation to Mickey, he's doing it for Rose. So so we get that aspect of it. Yeah. But also, I think that he has come around to see that Mickey isn't totally useless. Yeah. yeah. And 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 that Mickey could actually become not just not useless, could benefit but actually yeah. useful. Yeah. Um. And and beneficial, and it could benefit him. Yes. Yeah. And and then Rose. It's we find out that the whole reason he didn't bring up the solution that was apparently there from the beginning, yeah, was because of Rose. concern for Rose, yeah, yeah, because yeah. of his concern for Rose, right. yeah, and so that tension of this is what happens by virtue of the fact that he brings companions along with him, that he's yes. going as long as he has companions with him, he's going to have to struggle between uh needing them and and having them be a help to him, but also putting them in danger. And then mm-hmm. it creates these sort of, you know, paradox- paradoxical, you have to choose one or the other type yeah, situation. It's a dilemma. Yeah. yeah. It's a dilemma. Yeah. And, and, and that brings us right back around to choice yeah. and, and the choices that he has to make, which right. kind of, right. Brings a good segue point into Buffy. Well, I mean, his line about I could save the world but lose you. I can see Buffy saying that about her friends uh, and the people she cares about. That's exactly the choice that she has to make, especially in this episode. 
And and she kind of does have to make that choice with Owen. Yeah. <laughs> at the end there. So, well, I, you, you tell me what did what did uh, what did you want to say there about Buffy? Because, um, uh, sorry, unless there's anything else with the Doctor, we, we kind of need to move on. No, I think I think that's a good place to transition. Um, so, I mean, Buffy's character and the theme of choice is are sort of one and the same in this episode that she's just presented with exactly the same sort of moral dilemma of, you know, normal life versus, um, for her, it's not so much like the doctor brings the companion along because he needs them, but then that puts them into a dangerous situation for Buffy. It's even, it's not even bringing them along. It's having a normal life and a normal relationship, but just the fact of, initiating them into the realities of what she has to deal with automatically Mm. sort of puts them in danger, you know, just by virtue of knowing about it. Um, So, yeah, so, you know, I mean, there's so many lines in here about, you know, that her being two people and can she do both and which one does Owen prefer? Um, And... uh, I mean, even when she's trying to pick out her outfit for Owen, uh, you know, and should I be shy or aggressive? Like, well, A, that reminds me of the Monstrous Feminine that we talked about last week, that these are the two types of (laughs) girls. You can either be, (laughs) you can either be shy and demure or you can be aggressive and, you know, and assertive and there's no in between that. Or, or you can wear a parka and, and. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> the, the the homemade burka, so to speak, that yeah. Xander wants her to wear. <laughs> but um, but all of those things lend towards this idea of the split personality and mm. the the duality that she, you know, is trying to, you know, she says, I can. She says I can do both. Like it's, you know, a career. It's the nineties. It's, it's the nineties. Like like I can be a wife and have a career you know that's what it suggested to me this i but i mean it's more it's more than that because yeah it's about her ability to have normal per, normal people relationships um mm-hmm. and can she balance that with the reality that she again isn't necessarily her choice it's going to come crashing in so uh it's like she has a choice but she doesn't because even if she chooses to be normal teenage girl, that choice is going to get taken away from her because the vampires are going to come whether she likes it or not. Um, right. So is it really much of a choice at all? I mean, her choice is really to deal with how does she, um, does she choose to let people in and to explain to them what's going on or does she choose to keep them ignorant and keep them at a distance? Right. Um, so it's not so much a choice between safety or danger as how do I explain or not explain this to the people around me. Hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and so, <laughs> and you get the line from Giles. Well, when I said you could do both, I didn't mean like at the same time, yeah. like even, even there implying just, just kind of, I think what you're saying that, in order to do b- both at the same time, you do have to, you know, like Xander and Willow, who both sort of stumbled into the whole, you know, concept here. And 
and whatever. So it wasn't even Buffy revealing to them, but it's it's for them. They're now part of her Slayer thing, right? They're yeah. I mean they're friends, but they don't nece- they don't do like sort of the normal friend stuff. The f- friend stuff that they do is fighting evil, and yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. So it's like she's you know they're initiated into her world now, but but that world is what's taking over uh, her life. Yeah. basically yeah and 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 yeah and the whole yeah i mean and the their slayer. lives too because as you said they don't really do normal kid stuff either um so it's not even buffy's life that it transforms yeah. not only her life the the and, and of course the slayer duty versus normal teenage life has been in pretty much every episode yeah. so far so yeah. it's you know this is this is another I don't want to just say like another iteration, like same old thing, but it's another aspect, yeah. another facet of, right. of that debate is, you know, she wants, she wants to date. She wants to have a, a life where she can have a romantic influence that isn't interrupted by, you know, someone trying to bite her or one of her friends. And, yep. and, um, yeah, I, it's. And unfortunately, and it, Owen is not the guy for the job. <laughs> no, he's not. And it's. So you you get that you get that aspect of him at the end where where he's like oh I want to do that again but it's not because he wants to be with her no. it's because it was exciting and yeah. fun and and he you know he's he says about himself and, and and I want to talk about Owen like about his character a bit because he he says you know that he that he can relate to the the uneventful life uh-huh. and and this is kind of a you know being someone who's an introvert myself and yeah. has always been i mean it's it's sort of yeah there's there's an exciting aspect to you know wanting to go on adventure and wanting to face down the evil you know things or whatever yeah. but but there's that question of if you were faced in that situation how would you how would you handle it and right you know do you, do you become, do, you know, do you shy away like Mickey does in, in Doctor Who? Yeah. <laughs> or, or do you become the adrenaline junkie? Right. You know, I, I was se- a little, I have to admit, I was a little confused with Owen. Just like, I don't quite know. I, I just don't, I'm not entirely sure that I understand him. Like, so, I mean, for what we get in the majority of the episode, I mean, it he is an absolute parody of the strong, sensitive, silent type. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, it, like Willow says, like he's comic, sensitive but manly. Comically yes. so. I mean, like, yes. you know, the Emily Dickinson, the morbidity, he's sort of Byronic and romantic. He <laughs> is shy and awkward, yet everybody thinks he's gorgeous and dreamy. Um, mm. that's hard to pull off. So, uh, yes, you know, yes, it is. He, I, I know. <laughs> he, pr- he prefers, you know, and he prefers sort of interesting, strange girls like Buffy to shallow, you know, Cordelia. So that sort of sets him apart too. Yeah. He's impossibly sweet and forgiving of, you know, the times that he's been snubbed. He carries a freaking fob watch. Which, you know, contrasted to <laughs> contrasted to Xander's Tweety Bird watch was really yes. maybe the funniest <laughs> thing in the episode. Um, so, you know, I was kind of sitting there thinking, gosh, like, they are just hammering us with yeah. all of these elements. Where are they going with this? Um, 
and I have a point about uh, we'll talk about later where I thought they were going with it. It didn't end up uh, coming true, but and then so then I mean I I get that that those are all the things that girls forget about the fact that guys like this don't exist, but those are all the things <laughs> that that Buffy is supposed to. We get why Buffy loves him. He could not be sure. more perfect, right? Um, right. And then this sudden shift into, as you say, adrenaline junkie or sort of Mr. Adventure just felt a little... Yeah. Danger man is the term yeah. Buffy gives okay. him. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't... That felt a little strange to me. I, I kind of wasn't sure what they were getting at. And I kind of felt like... Hmm. I could have seen if he, I mean, did the Mickey thing of... I've seen what your life is like and not interested. I think, I, I think maybe they were wanting it to be Buffy's choice, which is why, you know, but they could have made him maybe say like, I've seen what your life is like. I understand that it's dangerous and I want to be with you regardless. And then it's Buffy that has to say no, you know, but just the fact that I, that kind of sudden overnight shift from ridiculously introverted to ridiculously let's go out and pick a bar fight um i don't know maybe it just felt a little strange to me i kind of wasn't sure what they were getting at there yeah no that that that's an interesting question and and i i see what you're saying because it does seem not totally like a like like it's an instant transformation it's not it's not a slow sort of thing like we get with with some of the other characters who are kind of trying to figure out what they're all about. I don't know. I, I guess for me, so one on the shallowness of, of Owen or the, the not, maybe not shallowness, but the, um, the, 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 uh, cutout nature of his, of his personality. Mm-hmm. Like you said, he's the Byronic. He's, he's, he's the ideal. Yeah. And he's very much. So I, I think on the one hand, and and I don't I mean I haven't read this anywhere or whatever, but just in guessing, you know, the way that Joss and, and the team has worked, like maybe they're trying to do that in the way that you know, that that it's a gender thing. Like that's how women are portrayed so often in sure. yeah. so many not not with those same specific characteristics, yeah, but yeah, with, the ideal, with feminine yeah. uh-huh. ideal, you know based on what certain men think is a feminine ideal, yeah. you know, um, yeah. being, being that. So, so that might be one, one reason for why, you know, they're presenting him as, as this perfect sort of man who's, who's yes, as Willow says, sensitive, but manly, he's solitary and mysterious. He can brood for 40 minutes straight. Yeah. I've clocked him, you yeah. know, so clearly Willow's been seeing him too. Yeah. Like she's, yeah. she's been watching him too. Like, it's not just Buffy. Oh it no, is Cordelia. he is universally it's, it's, attractive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you couldn't get three girls who are more different than Buffy, Willow and Cordelia. And all of them yeah. are just head over heels for this guy. Sure. And so, um, so that would be that would be my one guess as to why or or perhaps one reading that you could give, you know, as to why they they present him with those characteristics. As far as the change and, and you're right, it, I mean, it's literally overnight, <laughs> you yeah. know, I mean, it, you know, it, it happens. You know, the stuff happens to him and and he seems kind of out of it and whatever and goes home. And the next day he's like, yeah, I'm ready to jump back in. Yeah, I think. I think we could look at it a couple ways. I think one, you could look at it as um, 
like yeah like he's had he's had a taste of of the life and and it gave him a rush and now he wants that again um and I think that part of that is is drawn on the fact of of what he says earlier about why he loves Emily Dickinson. He's he's drawn to the morbidity. Right, the death and the morbidity. Yeah. Right. And and he's and he says he can relate to her uneventful life. And and I think those are clues as to like you know, why one, he just shows up at this funeral home, even though he's been told he yeah. probably shouldn't go there. Like he wants to see this. And then he mentions this first time I've ever seen the body. And you get the hint then uh-huh. of, of his Enjoyment. intrigue. Yeah. yeah. Like he's kind of like, this is, that's ah, a dead body. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Oh, is this, is this supposed to twitch like that? Yeah. Like, I yeah. mean, you kind of wonder how someone that old has never been, you know, to a funeral or anything, but uh-huh. I suppose, you know, it could happen. And, and he's, says he's solitary and you know whatever so you know he just doesn't go out very much and and so i think i think the other aspect to it is that he, you know he doesn't well so i'm going to i'm going to bring up here which i i wasn't necessarily going to bring up till later but i think it's a good spot because i i kind of have my whole running thesis on different levels of knowledge and mm. and the the normal people versus the inducted people versus, you know, the vampires who all have varying levels of, of knowledge here. And of course, Owen at the beginning has nothing, no information about what's really going on. And, and they try to prevent him from having this information with, you know, Giles covering for him uh, or covering for Buffy with the whole, Oh, you're going to have a stiff fine tomorrow. And, you know, that kind of stuff and, and trying to keep Owen out of, out of, the information that there's these vampires and evilness going on, but he clearly is inducted into it. I mean, he fights a vampire and, and he knows that there's this evil, well, or at least he should know because I mean, there's a vampire literally trying to bite his neck as he's staring at it. Right. But then he wakes up and he's like, Oh, did it run away? Like, like, you know, he's like, he, he's the, guy who swooned and now he doesn't really have an understanding of what happened and yeah. you know you know he's kind of kind of just in a fog and 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 so the next day he just he doesn't really know what happened that night right. all he knows was that it, it was, was exciting. exciting yeah and it was exciting because he was with Buffy and and so you get again that whole aspect of he doesn't really want to be with Buffy except for right. the fact that she can excite him and i think that is the aspect of it that I do understand and that I actually like is, and that would be a different point if he were to have reacted differently. What, what his reaction does for Buffy's character is to make her aware of the fact that it's going to be difficult to find people who appreciate her for her and, and to find, you know, that if he said, you know, that he either didn't want to be with her because it was dangerous or wanted to be with her because he loves her in spite of the danger. I don't think that point would come across because the point has to be that he's not really into her and that, you know, so she has to make the choice, not just for his own safety, but because, you know, don't waste your time on someone who only likes you because you are exciting and can make you feel alive and, you know, all those kinds right. of things. So that actually, I understand from 
you know, strange as it might be from his point of view, I guess it's more important that we look at it from Buffy's point of view and what's it doing to develop her character. Yeah, I don't I don't think we're prompted to really consider things from Owen's point of view too much. No, no, I think I just I think the 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 over the top portrayal of the character which then yeah. went 180 degrees in the opposite direction just sort of felt a little yeah, jarring to me. But um No, and and I can see that. Um I don't other than what I've already said, I don't have a better explanation. So if that's not satisfying, no, I and I get... think I think the explanation is that they're trying to make a point more about Buffy. So he's yeah. he's like you said, a vehicle for the theme that they're trying to get across. And what are we learning about Buffy? Right. Yeah. No. And and in in that way, he is cut out, and he is perfect or ideal or whatever until you get to that point where uh-huh. he's suddenly not perfect and ideal. <laughs> right. But and, he goes and, from being so perfect to so psychotic that it was just like, Whoa, yeah. what, what? I don't understand this guy. Um, yeah. but I imagine he's not hugely significant to the rest of the show. So, well, Buffy rejects him. We'll say that much at this okay. point. Okay. So if, if it, if, and when, or when we see him again, um, <laughs> we'll we, can bring him, we, we can bring him back we'll up. But I think we've talked enough about it. If he's softened any in the meantime. Yeah. Well, and so so just real briefly, I want to bring up the contrast that we get between Owen and Angel. Right. Because we get the... Who, we get again, let's say, is also quite Byronic and brooding <laughs> and sensitive, you know? So not as much of the... It's not as comically done. It's more subtle. It's, you know, so, but, but is also that kind of same character type, um, mm. a little bit. Well, and so uh, almost, except for the brooding, cause we don't, you know, we haven't observed Angel for 40 minutes straight <laughs> at true. any particular That's time. True. Um, but he is but he's in solitary those words. He's, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's solitary, he's mysterious, and yep. and he does seem sensitive but manly. Yeah. And and he gives his, her his first jacket cuz she's his, cold. His first words to Buffy are I was hoping to find you yeah. here. <laughs> Which and and she's really? Yeah. Yes, because I wanted to tell you that there are vampires. And, yeah. oh, um, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um but he does seem to be disappointed that she's on a date. Like we get yeah. we get that moment where she's he's like, "Oh, this is a date. Like you're dating. Like, wait, I thought something. No, but there's really nothing. Wait. So why am I upset that you're on a date? Like, yeah. you know, you kind of get that sense. Obviously he doesn't say any of that yeah. because he does sort of just brood and stays quiet and taciturn and yeah. whatever. Um, and, and so, so this is, yeah, I mean, this is such an obvious comparison or contrast i'm not sure which like i'm not sure exactly at this point what we're supposed to take away there is clearly something going on there so i mean maybe it is supposed to be a little bit of a comparison in in the sense that he is enough he's similar enough to owen that you can see um his attractiveness as that sort of strong yet sensitive type um Mm -hmm. but not as not as wooden a characterization, a more a more subtle and real approach to it. Um, but the fact that he is initiated and isn't a crazy psychopath who 
As far as we know, only likes Buffy. As far Buffy as we know. Her. As far as we know. He, he may be a crazy psychopath, but he hasn't shown it yet. No, he hasn't. As far as we know, <laughs> he might potentially like Buffy for Buffy. So, and he is a part of her world and seems uh, to cope with it more mm-hmm. more than Owen does. Yeah. So maybe being set up as, you know, and this may be misdirection, we don't know yet, but maybe, you know, we're being led to believe that this is someone who could be an ideal partner for Buffy. And, and I think, so I think, yeah, that's totally the, the implication that we're, we're being given. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, the setup here too is, is not just the comparison between Angel and Owen, but also the comparison between Buffy and Cordelia. Uh Uh-huh. Who, again, like you pointed out, Cordelia is totally head over heels for Owen until Owen snubs her and Angel walks in. Yeah. <laughs> and, and her, yeah. And her all first, the guys now are into Buffy. Her her first words are, you know, uh, when she sees Angel, you know, hello, salty goodness. You know, this is, <laughs> this is my new conquest, so to speak. Um, and, and of course, yeah, Angel walks right up to Buffy and has nothing to do with Cordelia. doesn't yeah. even notice Cordelia's existence, which perhaps makes him even more attractive yeah, to her exactly. or something. But, um, the, the, the comparison there though, is that immediately when Angel walks in, Cordelia is ready to jump ship and, mm-hmm. and, you know, want him instead. Yeah. Buffy doesn't. She says, no, I'm on a date with She Owen. made a commitment, I, yeah. I'm I'm here, you know, for what, even even though she may have feelings or not quite feelings, like stirrings or whatever right, you want to yeah. call it, for Angel, it's, and even though he's given her a jacket. What's up with guys giving Buffy things, by the way? The jacket, the watch, like. I, yep. The anyway. bra- Xander gave her a bracelet. Xander gave her a bracelet. I mean, it's, you know. Yeah. <sighs> but anyway, so, so. You know, there is that comparison that at least Buffy is has a loyalty about her. Yeah. And and, yeah. and is is not I mean we're we're meant to um No, I mean I, I heard you before when you that. said don't dismiss Cordelia and I think that is true. I've definitely got the impression that she is smart and capable of probably more than what she's actually doing. I, but she is shallow. And and we are her priorities, at least at this point, are not the highest. I mean, she's interested in herself and making herself look yes. good and, and going for whoever yes. happens to be the, the most attractive guy in the room at the time. And that's I, sort of her M.O. I, I, I feel the need to talk a little about Cordelia. And, okay. and only because, one, she's the only other character other than Buffy and her friends and Giles who we've seen every episode so far. Sure, yeah. Right. And she's and, in the title credits. And she is in the title credits. Right. So. No, and, so, and, I'm, and I'm willing to give her room, you know, to grow and develop and oh, learn more she, about her. You are spot on. Yeah. So she is shallow. Yeah. But, but I, think, I think one, we've sort of seen her in, in some spe- a specific role. And I would sort of call it um, an instigator slash rival role. Uh-huh. Because every time that we've seen her, it's it's... You know, other than like for the first couple scenes where we see her in the first episode where her and Buffy are kind of set up to be friends, um, whatever, she then becomes either either one, her role is to inform or or 
highlight the fact that there's danger. So like she's the one who in the first episode tells Buffy about the dead guy in the locker and then Uh gets creeped out when, when Buffy says, you know, starts asking her like, you know, all these inquisition about, uh, you know, whether he had bite marks and whatever. Um, she's, but then she, she's also, I, I mean, there's a whole fixation that Jesse has on her. Mm -hmm. And, and so while she doesn't, while she doesn't instigate anything in that particular instance because it's Jesse's fixation, she's at least the vehicle by which sort of the danger, you know, becomes closer into Buffy's circle. Right. Well, and she gets and, attacked by uh, Amy too, in which yeah, well, one of and the then, cheerleaders. Yeah, she's yeah. she's tar- she's targeted by Catherine as Amy. Yeah, yeah. Um, as the first now she's not the first person who gets she's the second right. but she's the first one who's actually on the cheerleading team because the the first one was during the tryout so it, yeah i mean she attacks the presumptive leader but then cordelia's right. next in line so yeah right. it's i mean you know again that's it's and then buffy comes right after her and but mm-hmm. you know but again she's and when i say instigator i don't i don't mean that cordelia is necessarily necessarily right, but she's instigating always close these. to i mean she's the she, one who finds the teacher ma- in the locker after he's been decapitated by yeah, the, in the yeah in so the she's freezer, always yeah. hovering whenever yeah. the danger is being made apparent she's nearby um but again going back to the levels of knowledge she does she seems oblivious to the fact that you know this all is these things keep happening to her and and then, yeah, why does everything keep happening to me? Well, actually, things are happening when you're around. Yeah. They're just not to you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... Right. She's it's sort of much... in the way and, and a, an um, accidental bystander. Or, I mean, yeah. I guess sometimes she's targeted, but not because for any particular reason, just because she happens to be there. Right. Right. So, so, so we see sort of this recurring role with her. But, but I think the other thing that's interesting about her is at this point... She is shallow, but her shallowness, one, she's, she's not stupid. She's disinterested yeah, or at least only interested in certain things and everything else can just go fly off a cliff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I think in so far as you would call that shallow, and I think most people would, I'm not saying that's a wrong characterization. Yeah. I think, I think the thing that's interesting about her at this point is her complete lack of duplicity. (laughs) Uh-huh. Like she wants something, she just goes right for it. She wants Owen, she goes up after it. And and yeah, she'll be mean. She'll yeah. be totally mean and say things that, you know, we think should hurt Buffy and maybe perhaps do internally, although Buffy's pretty good about not, you know, letting yeah. Cordelia get to her too much. You know, but but she's candid, she's honest, she's she knows exactly what she wants. She is kind of in a way, the opposite of of like Xander, who isn't right. real clear about what he wants at all. Yeah. Um, or or going back to Doctor Who, you know, right. to Mickey, yeah. who's who's not real clear, like we were saying. Right. So well, and that's her confidence in herself that she feels yeah. confident that of course everyone's going to want me. So if I make myself available, they'll reciprocate, and <laughs> there's no yeah. two ways about it. Well, and and you kind of get that look when when Owen's like. I'm with Buffy. No, wait, I'm still with Buffy. (laughs) Like, like you kind of get that look like, Oh, like, really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, but I'm totally being honest here. Or, or when, when she says everyone's going to be at the bronze, well, who's going to be there? Well, I'll be there. Yeah. And who else? You mean other than me? Like, why is there anything else more important than me? Right. Whereas I think like Xander's, um, you know, 
his the roles that he tries to play or things about himself that he covers up are because of that insecurity, you know, that that lack of confidence. So well, and I think so and and I think that's right. I think between Cordelia and Xander, you get like sort of a total confidence, non-confidence. Opposite thing. ends of the spectrum. But I think that in 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 considering that Cordelia is this honest, earnest person, you have to look at the other characters too. And there are points where every one of the others have a lie. Now whether yeah. you're okay with the lie that they give or or whatever, they're all trying to hide something. Yeah. And I think I you know I don't want to make a whole lot more of it at this point other than just to point that out. But yeah. but Buffy and in this episode, Buffy, Xander, right. uh, Giles, Willow, all four of them right. have some sort of lie, have some sort of duplicity. Willow's pretty quick on her feet, you know, with the whole security guard. Oh, Buffy's just going to look for a security guard. Yeah. You know, Giles t- says, "Oh, well, you're going to have a very stiff fine." Clearly being a misleading for Owen's purpose because there's nobody else who would. Uh, Xander's the one who brings up. I think the idea, you know, well, you know, the whole don't touch her, don't look at her. She hates it when you kiss her, you yeah. know, like that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and clearly they all have their different motives and reasons and some may be more noble than others. But I would just put that sort of thing in contrast at this point that that in every case we've seen Cordelia, she's completely upfront, honest, and it's self-serving and completely dislikable. But but it's there and yeah. it's, you you know, you have to wonder like what's. What's the better? She's not going to make any sacrifices and choices between, like, Buffy. It, she's right. going to say, nope, this is me, and I'll go for what I want, and what will happen will happen, Kind, of, you know, without that kind of needing to sort of choose between different values or different... As mm-hmm. far as Cordelia is concerned, she can have it all. Yeah. And there's no reason why she shouldn't. No. Um, and and she's and she won't make moans about it, and and yeah, she just goes for it. Um. So let's see. I, so I, we talked actually more about Cordelia than I meant to, but um, I did want to bring that up. I guess. Yeah. I, so so you you mentioned um the confidence thing between her and Xander's lack of confidence. So yeah, we. I mean, in in. The contrast here between Owen, we compared Owen with Angel. We have to compare Owen to Xander too, yeah. Uh, because this, I mean, it's right. oh, there's Buffy and Owen and Xander. That's me, yeah. <laughs> you know, standing at the locker here, being totally ignored by everyone else. Yeah. Um, yeah. The perpetual yeah. third wheel. Still, yeah. still awkward. Yeah. yeah. How how'd the slaying go last night? He says loudly in the crowded dining hall. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then he makes it worse. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> by saying how the lane go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's not better at all. Yeah. And, and, you know, you want to feel bad for Xander, but at the same time, I mean, it's just like, he brings I mean, it on himself he, a little bit. He, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I like Xander, so I guess I would say he's not quite as bad as Mickey, but uh-huh. he just doesn't, I mean, you know, he, he he insinuates he he makes innuendos you know well a lot of guys can read I mean I can read yeah you know you know well like, he at least has the humor going for him he's self he, he's self deprecating I he mean is. he's probably not aware that he's as goofy as he really is but yeah. at least he's a little bit aware of it and will sort of uh you know 
poke fun at himself, which I think takes away some of the impulse we might have to poke fun at him, you know? Right. Because he's sort of in on the joke a little bit. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. Um, yeah. I mean, it's 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 hard looking at him compared to Owen in this. <laughs> well, in this because you, you just, I mean, you want, you want him to, you know, be better. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and you want him to have something better, but yeah. he's just not, you know, it's not going to happen the way he's going about it. Um, not till he gets rid of his Tweety Bird watch. Yeah, well, you know, that might be a start. Uh, well, you brought up Owen. Can I uh, say what yeah. I was going to say earlier? Because I, I think it's a good oh, transition yeah, yeah. into the mythology. Okay. So I was so sure that Owen was going to be the anointed. Oh. Uh. Because... You know, they they talk about that she won't know him. The whole point of the story is about the anointed. Um, and then we get that kind of southern fire and brimstone <laughs> yeah. preacher guy on the bus who is yeah, yeah. meant to be, you know, red herring number one. That that's supposed to be the most <laughs> obvious candidate for the anointed. But, no, was but, it that obvious? <laughs> but it's obviously too obvious to be it. So we got to start looking for other candidates and, and, and there was, and I think going along with the ridiculousness of Owen's characterization, I thought he's got to be a trap that this is too, he's just too perfect to be real. So I was waiting for Owen to somehow be revealed or be turned into the trap for Buffy. It didn't end up going that direction, but. Be, because he was so innocent because and, he was and whatever so, seeming. It just felt like if she snubs him and he keeps turning up and wanting to be with her anyway, I thought, well, why? Like, what else is going on there? Right, but right, right. I ended up, I think I was, uh, I was overthinking it a little too much, but not really. Because, of course, it wasn't the fire and brimstone guy. It was this little Damien kid on the bus who yep. just walked straight out of the omen and into Buffy. And so, <laughs> so yeah. are we, yeah, I didn't pick up on that. Are we going to learn, was he always the anointed or is, is, was, did he die in that crash and then get turned into a hmm. vampire and become the anointed? Are we going to learn a little, a little bit more about the, we're, we're going to learn, okay. we're going to learn more about the anointed. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah, I guess with, without don't... giving away yeah. anything, but yep, he, it's a kid. Yeah. It's. It's the innocent little kid playing with his what toy airplane, I think it was, or something, uh-huh. or um, at the beginning, and yeah, he's the anointed one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, but your 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 Whedon esque instinct is good <laughs> <laughs> as far as, as as sniffing out the red herrings. Right, um, right. I mean, you know, and, sometimes and I it's... guess in this case it was a double because that one guy was sort of too obvious, and then I felt like. Owen was the second choice, and then it doesn't yeah. turn out to be him. It turns out to be this anonymous kid that we've seen on the bus. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and so we're talking about the mythology. Yeah, the, the anointed one's a kid. I, You know, I mean, obviously that's what they're, they were looking for or, or the thing at this point, but sort of the more interesting piece of mythology we get is this whole idea of the Order of Aurelius uh-huh. and... And that this is, so it's, 
we're not we're not given a lot yet at this point um, about that whole order of Aurelius. But I mean, this is this is the master's order. Like he's uh-huh. he's the main guy, you know. Here he he's the one controlling things. And and I think um, so. In in the last episode, we had Fork Guy, uh-huh. uh, who who were given just very briefly the snippet that you know he cut off his hand in shame, you yeah. know, because of the master and that kind of thing. So. You know, it's it's like this is this is just sort of an ongoing thing with the master. You know, they've been around a while. A very they're a very old and venerated sect. Giles says, but um, it's interesting that they haven't really connected the two of them yet at this point. So I I, well, I wanted to point it out just because I think it can be confusing. But we are meant to think that like even the vampires that have been killed so far were pretty much all part of this thing. They're they're the ones trying to get the master out. Of, yeah. of his and underground prison. It reminds me of something which I don't know if I mentioned. I think it was in the first episode. The Master alludes to the fact that the place they're in is a temple of worship or something. Um, yeah. And, and I kind of was a little confused by that because I would assume that, I would have assumed that that was their temple of worship to one of the demons or mm. whatever. But But he kind of shivers and seems like that's a distasteful idea. He goes like well, temple of ugh, worship. And so yeah. uh, it's interesting if he's part of this order, who do they serve? Is it, is this some sort of a religious sect or a cult yeah. or is he the head of it? Or is he reporting to some higher deity or like just trying to figure yeah, out no. the hierarchy, the, I guess, of vampire the, religion. <laughs> yeah. The, well, the master is, the master like there he's yeah. he's top dog okay. here in this in this whatever now i mean so the 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 reference to the place of worship it, it's um it's in the first episode yeah uh it's actually there when the master goes there he's trying to do the harvest yeah. thing mm-hmm. this you know and this happened again like 70 80 years prior um and then there was an earthquake uh-huh. and and they fell in so they were in a church in an earthquake and fell into the ground. Oh, so, so it's a literal church. So it's a literal, I yeah, it's a literal you. place of worship for not vampires, but for you know a Christian. Or and whatever. that's why he um, shivers and yeah, right, okay, right, yeah, right. okay, that makes so, sense. So, so yes, there, he was being literal there. Um, but again, as we talked about in that first episode and 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 the second one, the the implications are are definitely that there's that there's a ritual to yeah. what they're doing uh-huh. and and this and and so right. this bringing and, and up the, of a prophecy the there 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 are yeah. i think you called it like a black mass yeah. type feel yeah. and that kind of thing so like there's definitely you know antithetical analogies going on yeah. here so, yeah. and so the definitely. fact that 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 the the character is called the anointed one and yeah um yeah. yeah. Um you know, I mean s- s- some of this is is specific to the master and some of it's more generalized. I mean it's we're meant to take that the order of Aurelius is is specifically a vampire order. It's it's not all vampires. Mm-hmm. And it's not like something like humans who want to become vampires or you know something like you might see in other sort of vampire flicks or you know stories where 
where it's like a human slash vampire, you know, they're in it together kind of thing. This is a totally, it's a vampire sect. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, specifically, and, and one specifically related to the master who has been around for a very, very long time. Yeah. So, um, um, and we get, I, we I get wanna... a mention of the symbols, which are the rune for fidelity, interestingly. Um, and, yeah. and the sun and the three stars. Yeah. And I mean, some symbology is, I think, just going to be kind of Texture, like vague. Yeah. yeah, like it's, yeah, it's not, oh, a, there's a sun and three stars. Okay, what does that mean? Yeah. Really? Like, yeah. infidelity. I mean, I think we're meant to, the fact that this one vampire who Buffy killed had this ring, one is kind of a device to give information to Buffy and Giles uh-huh. so that they can figure out who it is they that need they're dealing with. Yeah. Um, but also, I mean, it's fidelity because it's, you know, one of the masters, you know, it, like he clearly has a pecking order. Yeah. Like, you know, with Luke, who is now dead yeah. <laughs> or dusted, um, you know, I mean, he was clearly the second in command, you know, his his chief lieutenant, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's clearly um, a hierarchy there. And I think we're just meant to, to see that as as being, you know, he gives the rings to these particular vampires of course who clearly have flaws and go out the night before they're supposed to and get killed yeah (laughs) i thought it was interesting that they started um the episode with a parallel between giles teaching buffy and then the master teaching his subjects and him saying here endeth the lesson so a little bit of giles and master comparison going on and sort of the disciple or the the teacher uh instructing the the disciples and everything preparing them for you know what's to come and you know (laughs) and and well giles's advice (laughs) seems to be less than adequate (laughs) just plunge and move on plunge and go to the next one (laughs) it's like you're spending too much time fighting these vampires you should be not wasting so much energy it's like well why why don't you do it a little bit and see how it works yeah (laughs) because he's the watcher he watches yeah um the uh yeah well and so giles i mean you know giles is kind of feeling his way as much as Buffy is. Yeah, I mean, definitely. We, we, you know, we're, 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 I think he would like to, everyone to think of him as, as the one who knows everything, but clearly he doesn't. I no. mean, Buffy, yeah. Buffy again shows her intelligence by saying, no, I'm pretty sure I've seen that somewhere. Oh yes, look, here it is. Yeah. Even though, even though Giles is insistent on the fact that the symbol doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And, and his my, and, and my calculations are precise. Be tonight, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're bad calculations. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, um. Interesting too that we find out that being a watcher is hereditary, that it's passed from parent to child rather than well, you're looking like. All right. Well, at this point, from what I understand and what they've told us, that's the impression I've been given. Yeah, I so rather than we don't know we don't than, know much about watchers yet. No. And and it's it's not surprising to me that his father and his mother were watchers. Okay. Um but yeah, we'll 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 learn more about the whole watcher structure and and that sort of thing too cuz there's there's a lot more going on there. Okay. Um and and yes, there, I mean there 
I, I don't know that it's well because he does say <laughs> I mean it's passed on so there may have been some retconning okay. in later episodes okay. that may not that. be a consistent bit of mythology um, okay and it, and it may be or it may be you know Giles is trying to make a point and this is the most convenient way for him to do that uh-huh. at this particular moment so he's simplifying it for Buffy okay I I think let's keep an eye on what the structure of the watchers are and, okay. and sort of remember this at, in later discussions. Okay. Um, but, but I do, I did want to, um, I mean, well, I, I guess we kind of covered everything with Giles. Yeah. He has that whole, uh, moment. Yeah, well, I had a very definite plans about my future. I was going to be a fighter pilot or possibly a grocer. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, what I yeah. wanted to be versus what I was probably going to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, so yeah, you know, Giles. I think we're we're still kind of getting his. He he's still feeling his way a bit, and and like regardless of what he was supposed to be, or what his father, or what he wanted to be, or what his father wanted him to be, like clearly he's still kind of new at the whole Watcher thing. It seems. Yeah, and and just like Buffy, it's something that wasn't totally his own choice and he's having to deal with the consequences just like she is. And I mean, he had to move to some Southern California town where he he hates the sunny weather and yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's not a big fan of the sun apparently. Yeah. Um, As any good Englishman, I suppose. Yeah. uh, Wouldn't be. Um, So, yeah. So I, you know, we get some more about Giles. I think, you know, interesting too is is the fact that he was he was will actually you know we we joke about him being only the watcher, but he was willing to go out just to check and make sure that things weren't really going down yeah. and let Buffy have that yeah. time off. Yeah. Like he 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 tries to be kind of a hard ass, yeah. but he's not but, really. But he he's not as I mean, you know, I I think he. Yeah, I think he's not. He, he he but I think he's trying to do what he thinks is quote the right thing to do for a mentor or a watcher or whatever and we get that in the first scene. But when when push comes to shove, he knows uh a cranky slayer isn't a good slayer yeah. as Buffy informs him. And and we kind of laugh, but you know, I think he probably buys into that at least a little bit because he does say, "Okay, fine, you can go." Yeah you know, have your social life, but I'm still just going to check just to make sure. Yeah. And well, and, and Buffy says, you know, why, why do you want to hurt me? And obviously he's not, he's trying to do the best thing for everybody. So he's trying to right. protect, he, he's trying to protect humanity at the same time that he's trying to watch out for Buffy and care about her and, you know, and let her do what she needs to do. So he is kind of between the rock and the hard place and is doing the best thing he can possibly do. You know, yeah. as he sees it. Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. Um, well, I guess, I guess we're we're probably we're close to time here. Um, and any other thoughts or anything you want to say here about Buffy? I think we're good. Unless you have anything else. Yeah. No, I think we're good. I just, I guess I would just say I was, I was surprised once again, how much these two episodes, the Dr. Who and, and Buffy kind of, yeah, how much we had to compare it with the, especially with the idea of choices, but the also choices. I think, um, 
between Mickey's character and, and Xander's yeah. character and, and, and the, the idea of confidence and, and, and what are you going to do given these situations and how are you going to act? Yeah. Is it, it, these are, these are lining up pretty nicely. I, they are. I have to say. Yeah. Very happy about that. Um, cool. Well then I guess, I guess we're done for this week. Thank you for listening and, uh, have a good one. All right. See you next time. Mm-hmm.